Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. This is Jonathan Pope from Building the Elite. Today, we're going to talk about stress, training, and adaptation. This is a big topic. So we've broken this into a two-part podcast. To understand programming, you must first understand how and why your body responds to training. When you understand that framework, things like how much running to do, how fast, and how often become much easier to program and adjust. Like programming, adaptation is a complex subject that people spend their entire career studying. In this episode, we'll discuss principles you need to understand when coaching yourself or others and will not be going into the weeds. This means that we are oversimplifying a few things. Just a warning to any physiology nerds out there. Our bodies are always adapting. Everything we do places a stressor on our bodies, and they respond accordingly to keep us alive. This ever-changing process is called allostasis. Technically speaking, allostasis is your body's total physiological reaction to the stressors you place upon it to maintain function. Your body has two main responses to any stress, a short-term response and a long-term response. The short-term response is simple. It just means get through the moment. This is usually characterized by flooding the body with hormones and redistributing blood flow and energy to the appropriate systems and local areas within the body. Once the stressor has been dealt with, the long-term adaptation component kicks in, in which your body's goal is to prepare for the future. Your body then releases enzymes or signaling hormones that start a cascade of responses, creating more permanent adaptations. The outcome of this is the body's ability to deal with the stressor in the future. The magnitude of the signaling response is directly proportional to the load of the stressor. This is why the body stops adapting when the same stressor is imposed repeatedly, such as doing the same workout plan every week for a really long time. While these adaptations can lead to the improvements that we're looking for, the problem is that most of us spend too much time accumulating stress and not enough time recovering. So our allostatic load, the total load of all stressors in our life, is constantly elevated. This leads to a very high cost of adaptation to exercise. People generally fall into one of two camps. In a net positive adaptation process, the body has a surplus of resources created by balancing recovery and training stressors. These excess resources are used to create an adaptation to the training that you're doing. You gain more muscle, more mitochondria, new or stronger neural connections in the brain, and other physiological changes. With a net negative adaptation process, the body adapts to your training stimulus, but in doing so, you become vulnerable to other problems because of the cumulative and progressive nature of stress. Do this for long enough, and you can get injured, burned out, sick, hormonally imbalanced, or other bad things. In other words, if you train hard, your body will adapt, but adaptation costs vary. 
Both processes utilize resources to create an adaptation, but one comes at the expense of health while the other maintains it and improves resilience. Before we talk about how to create a net positive adaptation process, we need to explore some of the nuances of adaptation. Stress is anything that elicits a response from the body. Food, light, sound, movement, exercise, emotional events, and mental strain are all forms of stressors. Anything that affects your body must be considered when planning and executing a training program because it will change your response to training. This is especially important when considering writing a program for an individual, maybe yourself, whose entire life doesn't revolve around training. Outside stressors, such as relationships, work, and sleep or recovery constraints, play a large role in how a trainee adapts. Adaptations are almost always useful from the perspective of your body. For example, suppose you bury yourself under an extreme load of endurance work. In that case, your body may ramp up cortisol, slow down sex hormone production, and have a bunch of other negative effects like decreased bone density, but it's doing so to protect itself. This adaptation is serving the purpose, really, of trying to stop you from being stupid. It's only negative from your perspective, but from the body's perspective, it's doing what it needs to do to survive and to get you to stop doing so much because it can't cope effectively. The magnitude of the signaling response is directly proportional to the load of the stressor. In other words, the total load controls the intensity of the stress response. So there's a sweet spot in this process, creating a stimulus that leads to the adaptations we want without leading to the negative adaptations that we don't want. There are two main types of stress. The first type is specific stress. This is the specific signaling and adaptive response that occurs based on the type of stress applied to your body. Think strength workout versus an aerobic conditioning workout. The second type is general stress, which is the cumulative stress load or the total amount of stress applied to the body from all stressors. Training disrupts homeostasis which creates a signaling response to the various systems within the body that causes a specific chain reaction depending on a variety of factors, including genetics, fitness level, training load, and training history. The degree of the hormonal response and your body's sensitivity to that response depends on various factors, including genetics, receptor sensitivity, and where your body is in the stress response. Residual stress is any pre-existing accumulated stress from a previous training session. If incomplete recovery occurs between sessions, residual stress becomes a part of the equation. A good example of residual specific stress is muscle damage. Your central nervous system might be fully recovered, but the local muscle may not be. Think squats for volume on Monday, followed by squats for more volume on Wednesday. You might feel just fine, but your quads are smoked. In this situation, your brain can signal the muscle to contract as intensely as it had in the previous training session, but the local musculature might not be able to deal with the stressor, which could lead to injury. Of course, residual general stress also affects your body. One example would be running 10 miles on Monday and swimming laps to exhaustion on Wednesday. They're different local stressors, but they're a large systemic endurance load. 
if your cardiovascular system was insufficiently recovered from the previous day's training session and you decided to perform a cardiac intensive workout, not only will your workout performance likely be poor, but your stress response will be amplified, increasing the cost of adaptation and pushing out the recovery timeline systemically and locally for your cardiac system. The example above also illustrates another important concept. The stress recovery curve is different for various systems. In our previous example, the central nervous system progressed through the adaptation process faster than the local muscular system. This is always occurring in various systems throughout the body. It's vital to develop these systems concurrently over time so that systems don't develop imbalances between each other. This is why you distribute stressors via different types of training over the week. And you have to account for the recovery status when deciding how to apply them. This seems obvious, but the majority of programs we see just randomly pile up hard things daily with a little regard for this concept. You can often get away with this if your training volume is fairly low or you're young and resilient. But if you're training for a soft selection or want to achieve higher levels of fitness, you have to be intentional about this process to avoid overuse injuries. Intelligent partitioning of workouts throughout the week and training block also allows you to get the greatest adaptive response per workload. So even if you're not having issues doing random workouts, you're probably leaving results on the table. When training is executed correctly, you apply enough local and systemic stress to elicit the desired adaptation response without flattening the readiness curve. In other words, always training but never improving, and without adapting at the cost of another physiological system. Over time, you want to stress whatever system you're looking to improve enough to create a sizable specific adaptation response, and then allow the body to recover. More is not necessarily better. You need enough stress to create an adaptation, but not so much that you overwhelm the body or never back off and allow the body to adapt to the training response. A good analogy is money going into a bank account. You can spend more money than you have coming in for a while. Think of this as more total stress than you can recover from. But at some point, you have to spend less than you have coming in to refill the bank account. In other words, to allow your body to recover and reduce stress significantly. Your body's response to training is both specific and general. And the more variables that you can take into account, the more effective your program will be. Understanding these principles will demystify the training process and help ensure that you make continual progress. Your goals are fairly simple for training yourself or someone else. Manage the training process so that the trainee receives adequate stress to cause adaptation, but not so much that they adapt at the cost of general health. Think stimulate, not annihilate. Consider all stress including psychological and emotional stress, sleep, and nutrition to avoid injuries. We'll discuss this more in the next podcast. Improve performance in specific traits by applying specific stress when you're capable of adapting to it. Be very specific and intentional with your program design so that you're targeting specific improvements. 
In the next episode, we'll talk about the principles and strategies we use to manage the training process, including several specific examples. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Before we sign off, we're excited to announce that after months of testing, we've finally released the BTE goal and career-specific training programs through a mobile app. We have programs for a variety of goals, including soft selection prep, operators, law enforcement, firefighters, and general fitness. These aren't one-size-fits-all templates. Instead, we assess where you're currently at and assign you a program based on your specific strengths and weaknesses. The training plans are adaptable, so you can adjust them to your needs and schedule. Alongside the physical training, you also get access to daily mental skills lessons that complement your workouts. You also have access to BTE coaches to ask questions and get feedback when needed. You can find out more or sign up at buildingtheelite.com.